move going deep speed race. He's got Hill. He's got Hill. From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. He's got it. Miami is in the playoffs. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're opening up the mailbag on this edition of the podcast exclusively your questions from start to finish, my answers on all matters Miami Dolphins, free agency, draft, off-season workouts. If you guys put some stuff in there about television shows, golf or basketball or other stuff that I'm into, probably going to answer that as well. I'm just going to go ahead and go off the cuff, though, and read these things as we go. Whatever you can think of, we're talking about it here on the podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right in. The first name I see, does Twitter sort these by the people that you like know the most or that you interact with the most? Because the first question I got is from longtime friend of the show, longtime friend of the person you're hearing from right now, at Jason underscore Sarney. With the Anthony Weaver hire, he asks, Jason, by the way, how are you doing? Hope the family is well. With the Anthony Weaver hire, which player are you most interested in seeing what he can do for said player? And what a way to start this podcast off coming off the heels of the Friday Anthony Weaver episode, which you haven't heard yet. Go back and check it out. I had the great Mark Vandermeer on who just was spitting hot fire with what he thinks about the Dolphins' new defensive coordinator. And then we also heard from Coach Weaver on that podcast. And I alluded to this in an answer that Coach put on the – or that he mentioned in his press conference – on that Friday podcast, and I mean, the, the easy the easy money here is Jalen Ramsey, right? But I'm going to go somebody else in that defensive backfield and say it's Javon Holland. And I think that what Coach Weaver saw this past year with the usage of Kyle Hamilton, who for my money is already the best safety in the National Football League. And by the way, this is like getting way out into the weeds, Jason, and I apologize for that. Positional value in the draft is has totally jumped the shark, has it not? Like, Jameer Gibbs, I think I tweeted about it last year. You could just tell. You could just – it wasn't hard, right? It took a couple of reps to see this guy's different. And they took him at, what was it, 10th overall or 8th overall? I forget what it was even. But everyone's all fired up about where the Lions took Jameer Gibbs and look how important he was to their run towards the end of the season. Like, we get so caught up in these trivial things in the sport, in my opinion. Hey, draft good football players and it works out, right? The same thing is true with, with Kyle Hamilton. And I remember the lead-up to the draft that year with him – with the the debate about the value of a safety or the, the value of, you know, you, well, he's good, but you can't take him in this position in the draft. They should have taken him even higher because he changed the way that defense operates. And safeties can do that when they're not just safeties. And that's what Javon Holland is. Because if you go back to Javon Holland's tape at Oregon, it wasn't him ranging around in center field, picking off, you know, go balls that don't, they, they, they just don't happen that frequently anymore in the National Football League. It's important to have someone cap those off in your deep cloud coverages, whether you're in a cover two, whether you're in a cover three, a cover six, different variations of having different guys take different deep valves of a passing game away. And so while Javon Holland can do that, and he has the range of a very heady and athletic and quick triggered center fielder, you it's like Jalen Ramsey in the sense that you're pigeonholing his skill set by locking him into that role. And at Oregon, what I thought he was best at was understanding his job 
the defensive structure within what his job entails, how the concept, the offense calls, attacks that, and his ability to make plays because of what he sees and what he op- processes in his mind to go make those plays. Like coming off of a bunch where he's got a front side crosser and he bails because he recognizes Mesh coming back from the backside and jumps into that and goes, get, goes and gets a pick where the quarterback, I guarantee you, comes back to the sideline on that play and says, what the hell, what happened there? That what, like my, all my reads, all my process took me to that throw and Javon Holland's there. What the hell's Javon Holland doing here? What the hell's Brett Favre doing here? I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. But that's why Javon Holland is, in my opinion, the player that Weaver will watch the tape, which the last guy didn't watch the previous year's tape, which blows my freaking mind. Give yourself a leg up, dude. Like, on the podcast, I was watching Josh Rosen film telling you how terrible he was. Like, watch your players. I think Coach Weaver's going to go back and watch the tape and see Javon Holland and all the different things he can do, even in the game. And look, the way the year ended for Javon was not great, right? Uh, and taking yourself out of the Buffalo game with was 17 snaps, and most of those snaps were in the slot, and he played really well in that role, I thought. He felt he couldn't move the way he normally does. The way he normally does is fantastic and elite fashion, I think that his ability to match up, to you know, keep your f- scheme fluid on a weekly basis, and that's another big uh, kind of bomb drop that Coach Weaver put in that press conference was kind of revealing what he envisions the structure of this defense looking like, which is some crossover with the Dolphins' zone principles. And obviously this Dolphins' defense was effective. They were good in kind of styming the offense with the same exact look every single play, which then disguises how you rotate in your coverage that way. And I thought for the most part, this this past season for the Dolphins was one of the best in terms of, you know, when you watch the broadcast and like you can't really see what's going on down the field. And then like the quarterback hits the top of their drop when they have conviction and they throw on time, usually it's going to be a completion. I felt like this year when we were kind of in that mystery world of being, you know, subject to what the broadcast showed us, I felt we were better equipped in coverage down the field on those situations and scenarios and it played out that way on tape as well so I think Miami's ability though to take that structure take the personnel they have which is very good by the way and another quick aside sorry you're getting lots of burn time here man uh the great Kyle Krabs had a great reply to a guy on Twitter who just loves to be miserable right and we know I won't give it the time of day, but like just bitching about every single little thing this team does. And Kyle went back and said like, oh, they've got the most sacks in the NFL over the last three years. They set the franchise record for sacks this year. Oh, and by the way, they allowed 3.8 yards per carry playing usually down a hat in the box, uh, which was sixth best in the National Football League. So go take your gripe somewhere else, right? And that's because of the Dolphins personnel being so damn good. It's a it's a great defense. Coaches around the league will tell you how great this personnel is. Depth may need some work, and that's the case for every team. But when you look at the positions they might need, it's all non-premium positions like they have the pass rushers they have the corner they have the matchup piece in Javon Holland they have the Zach Sealer wolfing out about Christian Wilkins and that's a question coming on the podcast here in a minute but you get the sense and David Long by the way phenomenal football player like there are pieces and I think that what coach Weaver is going to see with this is the ability to maximize their skill sets and who better to maximize their skill set than Javon Holland in the capacity of what you can do from disguise and movement and in the box and off the football and matching up on a said player. It's just, it's nice to have him. And then you pair that with Ramsey. I think this defense is going to look a lot different, although also similar in the way they attack things this year. And Javon Holland's my pick. That's a long, long first mailbag question and answer there. We're going to have to go faster to get through all these at B one Nick. Is that Benick? I I don't know. Uh, What is Tua 
attacking this offseason. My hunch is play extension when routes are blown up at the line of scrimmage. And I, I tend to agree with you on that. Benk, Bienk, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I don't, yeah, I, I know it's clever wordplay, but I'm just not clever enough to figure it out. Pretty stupid person. Um, I, I, yeah, that's that's got to be first, right? Because, um, and I, I don't feel it's not, I feel it's not something that he can't physically do. I think it was more of a ingrained in his mind to play smarter and safer this year, which we, you know, only eight quarterbacks played all 17 games. And it gave us a chance, even when the offense was struggling down the stretch, because a year ago, going into the playoffs with a rookie seventh string or seventh round quarterback, third string quarterback wasn't going to work out. So having two a healthy is paramount first and foremost, but I think we need to play a little more, uh, almost like Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Like, let's go make some more plays. And so I, I think it's there. I think the skill set is there. I always allude to that play against the commanders when he had a free rusher in his face and was able to kind of do that little pump fake and then, you know, tuck the ball in, sidestep, attack the line of scrimmage and throw the ball on time hot that way. Or obviously the the play on opening day against the Chargers to Tyreek Hill down the field. They're, or the one uh, to Braxton Berrios in that game moving left off the spot. It's in there. It's not the best in the league, but it is in there. I think the, the mental calibration of when to do it, when you can get away with it, when you can't extend without opening yourself up to more risk for injury is kind of where he has to be at. And then also just like, I would say, I kind of felt too his lack of mobility was tied to his lack of mobility, but also a waning trust in his pockets that he had because there was instances where you could see like he kind of felt the rush, especially those last couple of games of the year. I, I thought that he felt the rush more than he did earlier in the season. So I guess being more confident and having a better calibrated mindset on top of just getting a little bit maybe slimmer, maybe a little bit more agile, which is all stuff that he's going to knock out with Nick Hicks. You just know he's going to. Um, next one here from at Dolphins fan 05. What improvements do you see the Dolphins doing with the offensive line? It's a good question because, I mean, we saw Austin Jackson get extended and the Connor Williams ACL injury definitely opens up a, a unique situation there with how he will approach the offseason and his market on the open market. Um, Teron Armstead has been very good, if not always available, and has alluded to the fact that the body sometimes hasn't cooperated with what he wanted to do, and that might invite the scenario where maybe he doesn't want to play anymore. I, I don't know. I, I know Teron, but I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure he's still kind of kicking through that, what he wants to do as well. So when you think about the, I guess, variables that we don't really know about yet, I would expect Rob Hunt to be back. I don't expect Connor Williams to be back. That's just my assumption based upon um, how last season played out and kind of the asking there. And then the left tackle, I, I think Teron will go one more year, but I, I really don't know. So if if that's what the scenario you're playing with where you have Austin, Rob, and Teron, that's a very good starting three to begin with. You're going to have to fill out the other spots. And I kind of feel like I, I love Liam Eichenberg as like my seventh offensive lineman like not my swing tackle but my swing interior guy maybe is a good position for him maybe it's Isaiah Wynn if you want to go back that route but I, I don't you have to like you have to have somebody else you feel comfortable with and capable with at that position because he's never finished a season in his career kind of like Teron Armstead so with that in mind I, I think that your incumbents another year in the system will get better but I also think you have to just get better and bigger on the interior that's kind of my that's my main focus this offseason is getting much bigger and thicker on the interior and there's some more questions in here that I saw where I'm going to go ahead and answer more of that for you at Dolphins Fan 05, but I think that's my number one thing, is getting much bigger. And I'll talk about the uh, particulars here as we go along. At Tutio Javier, I hope I got that right. I apologize if I didn't. Who's the first player you see the team re-signing? Who's the first one you see them trading or letting walk? That's a good question. Uh, I, th I think the first one, just based upon how... This is my assumption based upon what I assume to be 
or my own evaluation of where things went wrong. And I talked about size on the interior. And if you're going to go that direction, you also still want athletic ability and the ability to get out wide in those wide zones. And that's Rob Hunt. And the guard market is scarce as well. So to me, the top priority there is Robert Hunt, just because of the value of, I think, offense over defense of someone who can play your scheme, but also give you that size and physicality and a guy that's been available to you his entire career, except for one stretch of games last season. So to me, it's a non-premium position, right? You can probably afford to, it's not going to cost you as much as a premier receiver, a premier edge, a premier corner, whatever, a premier tackle. It's, it's affordable usually. So Rob Hunt's my option there on the first part of the question. The second part, I talked about this last, you know, before the injury, to Bradley Chubb, it, it was Andrew Van Ginkle because I thought he he played himself out of our price range. But now with that volatility of what might happen there, maybe you do bring Gink back, and he has his own injuries coming back off of. So that was my answer, just because he was too good for us. Like he outplayed our ability to afford him. I thought at that time. So that would have been my first answer, but now I, I think it's Connor Williams because of the injury, because I think the ask is going to be still for premier center money, and I think that where the Dolphins have to get better and where they can improve their short yardage, their true pass set, pass protection, is by getting bigger on the interior, and Connor Williams I think is a top five or six center in the National Football League, but I think that getting bigger has to be a priority up front. So that would be my two choices there along the offensive line. At It's Me Nick. Good morning, Travis. Do you see the Dolphins drafting up or maybe down for more picks? What's your take on that? Thanks and have a great day. Uh, trading up, right? Go ahead and, and assume that's what he meant uh, by drafting up. So uh, the thing about trades on draft day is that I, I always see like, oh, what I would do is trade down. It's like, I'm sure you would. I'm sure that's what every GM wants to do. But it takes two to tango or something like that. Adam Sandler. Um... Yeah, I think I think that acquire. I would love to get back in the third and fourth round of the draft, and so like I would be intrigued by a potential move back that puts me in that same range in 2020 when the Packers came up for Jordan Love. We went back four spots and we recouped, I believe, a fourth round pick that year. I could see something like that in the works. I do not see us going up. I think draft picks the next couple of years are going to be very valuable for this Dolphins franchise. And uh, I think at pick 21, like there's a guy that I definitely want in that spot, and I would not risk losing him going back if, if he's there. So that's kind of part of what it is. And we'll talk about who that player is here in a moment because I think there's more questions about the draft coming up on the podcast. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there, come back on the other side, and just continue doing this, just chopping it up. Benny Hanna style with my boys, talking football. Mailbag questions, more next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton, you know, watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not, gonna, the, not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team that could, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of the – Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you, you telling me – You've seen the whole time. 
And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Segment number two on a Monday. Man, these, these like between... Actually, the the summer podcasts, when it's really dead, are pre-taped and it's like season preview and we're kind of getting geared up and enjoying the last part of summer break with your kids being out from school. For me, my wife uh, works in a school, so she also has summers off. And then for me, obviously, that's the one time of year where I'm not working all the time. So it's nice. But this time of year, like we're in this really weird position. Like, do I talk about draft prospects? Do I talk about free agent film I'm watching? We'll do more of that. But I thought that was was a good chance to kind of connect with you guys. Haven't done mailbags in a while. So let's go ahead and talk to the boys. And to the ladies out there, I think I have a 97-3% demographic split, but talking to the ladies as well. Um, yeah, let's just go ahead and get your guys' thoughts and takes. So the next question here from G. Ortega, 2386. What are the big changes you anticipate happening this offseason to help the Dolphins get over the hump? And I don't think you're going to like this answer because it's it just doesn't jive with what I see fans talking about on social media. And I just think it's incumbent improvements, man. I really do. I mean, retaining our own guys, I think, is going to be a critical venture this offseason with regards to um, how this thing gets built and where the money that we do have goes. And look, like there, I know you've been told a, a bill of goods about how this cap situation is going to be damning for us for a long time. But you, just please, just please don't listen to that. Like, it's just not the case. You know, <laughs> Kyle Krabs, locked on Dolphins, is the guy that you probably go to first for that because he is so locked on it. Chris Kaufman's very good, CK Parrott, with uh, the financial aspect of it. Outside of that, just just please be careful with where you get the information from because it's tricky. I don't I don't really dive into it because it's over my stupid brain, and I don't really want to like flush, flush out like where you move money around and restructure, but just understand that the way this organization or front office structures things is to keep themselves flexible, to give themselves outs, to keep themselves with the ability to change things at the drop of a hat for a scheme change or a coach change or whatever the case may be. They find opportunities to move money around and keep themselves flexible. It's the job of an entire guy. Brandon Short does a great job in the organization of making that all happen. So just please remember that it, the stuff you hear from you know, people that think that a nine technique means he defends nine gaps. Like, don't take your, your opinions too seriously from that. That's my only thing. So with that all said, G. Ortega, your question about what moves the Dolphins might make this offseason to make them get over the hump. I think the third year in the offense for the quarterback and play caller is paramount. I've heard Peyton Manning talk about that. I've heard other quarterbacks discuss how critical that continuity on the offense side of the football is. And you guys know me. I think the best way to win today's in today's league is to be the best on offense. Just continue to be the best on offense, and you will find your way way into the winner circle in most games because most other teams don't have offenses and quarterbacks that can keep up in the 30s. I would say there's 24 teams. If you score 30 points against, they really don't have much of a chance to beat you. And now we have to find out how to beat the other eight teams that have the quarterbacks like the one that we have, or even better than the one that we have, which is the case for a handful of teams, right? So to me, it's just being better detailed at everything, minimizing pre-snap penalties and mistakes, giving yourself a better glance at what the pre-snap alignment of the defense and post-snap rotation might be, having my quarterback have more answers in critical situations, having better third down conversion and communication with how we attack a good defense with a good pass rush and the pass protection plan. I think for year three for Tua, being more well-versed in his protections and how to get that stuff all sorted. I talked about it on the Super Bowl recap podcast. 
Tony Romo talked about Brock Purdy in his second year being a very good uh, cerebral quarterback and the processing element of the position that he thinks he plays well at. But one thing he thought he could have done better was a quick protection fix, right? A protection uh, resolution to what the defense presented. And he didn't think that Brock Purdy had the answers to this all the time. And so for Tua, who I, I think has really taken a big step the last couple of years with his professional approach, with his mental aptitude, and just knowing ball, he had, he's always had great recall. But I feel like he just has taken that knowledge to a different level in the last couple of years. I think in year three, like I talk about it all the time, if Tua puts his mind to something about getting better, especially in the offseason, he's going to do it. And I think that's a big thing for him. So offensively, structurally, quarterback and coach are your two most important pieces, right? I think those guys can be even better. Now, as far as what moves happen in the offseason, I've, I've kind of discussed this a bit on the show here, but we'll go ahead and recap it again. Um, better and, and true drop back situations and maybe a more refined offensive approach that has a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not like not predictability, but um, can just, when you when you know what you have to do, you can do it, right? And that is kind of what the Rams and Niners have done the last couple of years. They've uh, converted to a little bit more of a power running scheme that gives them more opportunity to convert those situations that we came up short in. That's a big part of it. Playing better under pressure in general for the quarterback and the offense is a big part of it. And then defensively, uh, opening up more of your guys to, to more um, just you know, scheme fluctuation to more adaptability week by week to open up the playmakers to put them in better positions to go make plays and uh yeah that's probably about it i would say getting after the quarterback a little bit more these top line quarterbacks and confusing them with different rush looks that's been big on my list this offseason so plenty to look at there and of course you know we'll have some newcomers to come in and help with that as well next question here from at laramore underscore ben keep one cut one mcdaniel and tua you are diabolical sir that is tough Oh, man. Can I sacrifice my, my third-born child? I don't have a third. It's not going to happen, so that's why I say that. Uh, and, and all jokes aside. But really, I'd probably go to the quarterback just because um, I'm a big believer in what this coach can do. I'm a big believer in the quarterback as well, so don't take that out of context. But I would say I would keep McDaniel by a slim margin because I think that once you get a head coach, he can certainly tailor things for that quarterback. And I think that eventually, you never know, it took us 20 years the first time, eventually we could find another quarterback. A head coach can be uh, even tougher to find, if you ask me. At Ross PB, of all the players who are due to hit free agency, which two do you re-sign, one offense and one defense? I'd pick Wilkins and Hunt. I put this question in there because we already discussed this earlier in my opinion was Robert Hunt uh, for the defense. Yeah, I think you nailed the head there with Christian Wilkins. I will say, though, if it gets to a point where it's not really you know tenable for your, your structure and your cap, and it's going to really, really suck if you have to lose a player like that because of that. But I will say, uh, if it comes down to that, a cheaper option at the safety position and Deshaun Elliott probably is my pick because of the, the financials of that and the flexibility we'd have with that, you know, $20 million per year, which, of course, you can sparse out through the course of the contract and, you know, roll the money down the line and all that fun stuff. But I would say just from a value standpoint, if it's not Wilkins, which it, it is, right, it's probably Deshaun Elliott because I thought that he played way above board in terms of what he was paid this year and his production on the football field. Should we take a break right there? Uh, let's go ahead and take our last... No, let's go one more here. Um, at Kevin25039, when you watch the film of JPJ of Oregon or Zach Frazier at West Virginia, and both are available at, and center's number one priority, who do you take? Keep up the great work. Thank you, Kevin. Um, yeah, man. So JPJ is Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon. Who? So when you go back over the course of the draft, like centers don't typically go in the first round unless they hit a certain threshold. And that threshold typically is uh, a certain level of athleticism, a certain number of starts in college, and just really, really, really good tape 
that's difficult to find holes with them, and then also a certain level of size and strength. And that's where I thought Miami, I thought we had everything else at center besides that last criteria there, the size and strength, which I talked about it, right? In training camp, I watched Raekwon Davis walk Connor Williams back into the lap of the quarterback frequently, and he doesn't do that against anybody else. Like, he, some guys he does, but I mean, Connor Williams, if there was one issue in his game, it was the size and the stature at that position and just overall anchor in the, in the legs. But, I, I mean, for the most part, he was he's a fantastic player, right? But between that and short yardage movement, pushing guys off the football, QB sneaks, or even just fullback dives, when you watch Jackson Powers Johnson play, he is on that level of a Creed Humphrey who fell out of the second round, on that level of a Frank Ragnow who did go in the first round, of these top-tier centers that you can – put on your football team and know for 12 years we are locked in at a critical position and this guy is in my opinion he might be the best player of the entire draft he is in that conversation with regards to how good he is at his job and all the makeup and the like it's christian wilkins he's christian wilkins as a center that's how i describe him he's a phenomenal player to me he is option one a b c d e f at, at pick 21 if he's there zach frazier i love his game but i would just knock him back a tiny little bit because they're both former wrestlers, which is always a critical part in that position for some reason. Um, they're both smart as hell. They both played a million snaps at college. Zach Frazier's a captain who's tough as hell. He's right there too, but I just think that JPJ is on a different tier. He's on that Creed Humphrey tier. He's very, very good. And there are other centers in this class that I think make good sense in the second round as well. So it's a good position to need, and it's part of the reason why I think that the current guy, I, I think, I, my assumption would be, that you don't see him back next year. Let's go ahead and take that last break right there, come back on the other side, and finish up your questions on the Mailbag Edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's next, brought to you by AutoNation. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Some more mailbag questions. Don't forget DCC on Saturday. You can come by and find my my guy Seth and I will be at the finish line, I believe in the paddock area at the F1 track. We're going to be hosting a radio show live on the air from 10 to noon. We're going to have some pre-taped segments, but also going to have some guys stop by and do a live hit. I believe Jalen Phillips will be with us, but we'll also have tons of players and coach will be there. Going to be a fun time hanging out for a couple hours there at DCC on Saturday. And with that, let's go ahead and get back to your questions here and uh, a couple of quick ones. First one, at Finn's finish. Why aren't they addressing the special teams coaching? They actually did let go of an assistant special teamers. Brendan Daly, I believe is his name, uh, was was relieved of his duties. But yeah, it sounds like Coach Crossman's going to be back. So I just think it has to be better this year, right? Like special teams was 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 tough this season. It has to be better this season, this year. Uh, at Finn One Fan, did the Dolphins renew your contract? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. So don't worry, Mike. I'll, I'll be here with you outside the radio fort on Sundays after Dolphins wins and losses, but hopefully more wins. At the homie, which player or players will improve the most under Coach Weaver? Love that question. So I, I mentioned Javon Holland, but that's not – he's already – doesn't have a lot of room to go, right? He's pretty good already. Uh, as far as most improvement, it's got to be Cam Smith, right? I think about Cam Smith getting kind of the shaft last year in terms of 
not getting a chance to even see the field because of kind of a, a grudge that was held about not bringing in his own guys. And that's that's how I'm going to get back at you. And it's that, that stubbornness, man. That stuff don't play. I don't play at all. So I think Cam Smith is your obvious option. I watching him all camp long. I. I I feel pretty confident in my evaluations. I do get some stuff wrong. I thought Noah Ignogany was going to be a good player. Well, he wasn't. So you get some stuff wrong. But damn it, Cam Smith can freaking play, man. He can play ball. He looks really good out there. He's so fluid, quick trigger, super smart processor. He moves before the ball comes out and just kind of sees things in a way that not every player can. Big fan of his game. I think the next obvious answer is Channing Tyndall. I think a lot of the player development, loving guys up, putting your arm around them, not putting them in a freaking, you know, a Mike Leach storage shed out somewhere and just forgetting about him for a couple of days. Like that was kind of how the last guy did it. Right. But for coach Weaver, I think he's going to come in here and give these guys a fresh start, a fresh opportunity. And then for a more, I guess not obvious answer. Cause those kind of were obvious to me would have to probably be it's Jalen Ramsey. I mean, I talked about it in the, um, you know, who stands to get to benefit the most, but I think that Ramsey's ability to play in different positions, you know, that's, as he said, a detriment to Ramsey if you just stick him at field or boundary corner and leave him there. Like, no, move this guy around and maximize his ability to make plays by putting him in positions where the ball will definitely go because you're not going to avoid Tyreek Hill all game, right? Put him in spots where the ball will go and watch him make more plays. At Xander Gomez, any chance Xavier Howard comes back? I talked about his cap hit would be a waste to us. You're the best offense cornerback I've seen in the last 20 years. Uh, Sir, Sam Madison was on this team 20 years ago, so I take a, I take exception to that. But, um... No, I mean, the play's fallen off. It's There's been a bit of a drop-off in terms of production. And at that salary, you definitely can't have that uh, production at that cost. So as far as chances, I would never say never. But right now, I would say it doesn't look like that's the direction they're going. And with the comments he's made as well, seems like it's a, a different kind of uh, direction for the team. At Wade Trip one are you going to the Seahawks game? I hope so. That's my hope. That's the plan. Um, I, it just kind of depends on when the game is. I Depends if I can get my family out there as well. We definitely want to go home and see our family, but that's the plan. I'm hoping to be there. At Skeeter Duanon, <laughs> are we going to re-sign Christian Wilkins? Man, I, I think there's there's some hope there. I think they're trying. I don't know. I, I know it's a, a difficult uh, business side of this whole thing that we don't like discussing, but I think that that's, that's the plan. That's the approach. You know, Chris Greer has talked about how much they want him here in the past, and I know he wants to be here. So hopefully it gets done, but I, I mean, I can't sit here and tell you yes or no either way because I, I don't know. Uh, one more here before I get to some other questions. At Dominic Amara 2, what do you think is the most important for the offseason to progress for the offense to progress on? Physicality to take a load off to or more proficiency in the true drop back game so all past concepts are not so much schemed open plays that were easier to key on later in the year. Well, that's, if that's the assessment, then um, off of what you're saying, I would say the it would be the proficiency in the true drop back game because that was something they had back in 2022 when they did get themselves into some long yardage situations at times, it seemed like, and were able to get out of those situations with a very proficient third down and especially third and long passing game. They were actually first in the NFL in third and long in 2022, not the case last year. So I would say it's just true proficiency in that way. Um, probably injuries and attrition to the offensive line that caused so many breakdowns and inability to play on time within those structures was a big issue. And I think it eventually impacted to his trust in his protection and his whole, you know, thing about keeping himself healthy, I think kind of was part of that collection of just ugly offense down the stretch. So I would say that that's the one that I would choose between these two and with the idea of the scheme to open plays not working. And that's, I mean, two is a huge part of that. Okay. Like let's not get that twisted Tua's ability to see things play out and anticipate is why things get so open so frequently. So there you go. Um, let's see what else we got here. Yeah. So I, I want to weigh in on <laughs> content wars 
Um, even though I know it doesn't really involve me anymore. I, I do remember living in that world for a long time when I was coming up with Locked On Dolphins and trying to carve out a full-time role in this industry for myself. And I see now that that realm of Dolphins Twitter that I consider myself a, an alumni of, you know, the old uh, fan site covering the team for fun at first and trying to make my way and, and turn it into a profession. Um, I remember doing that. I remember getting lots of fights with people like Josh Houts, for instance, and I would go at each other's necks all the damn time because we thought we both were probably going to be the next whatever, you know? And looking back in hindsight, it's totally silly. And I do want to address that further, but we're out of time here on this show, so I'll go ahead and save it for the Wednesday podcast, I suppose. Um, I really, What I really want to address, if I'm being perfectly honest, is the... So everybody asks when this stuff happens, like, what's the best Dolphins podcast to go to? And I'll go in those threads, and there'll be... Grind, uh, locked on Dolphins, three yards per carry, drive time. And sometimes the drive time comments get replied to as Travis's propaganda. He can't be honest, yada, yada, yada. And I just, I, I just want to address that part real quick because, first of all, if you're saying that, you haven't listened to the show in a while. I will admit the first year on the, on the job here, there probably was some of that because uh, the person that ran the department um, was very, very much thumb on the scale with me not so much the case anymore and also like you can see my tweets i tweet about the games live and tell you where the shortcomings are i talk about the shortcomings in the podcast here so i, I just take a lot of exception to that um i take exception to just the, by the nature of my position and my job that it's uh thought that I, my credibility is less than and how how is my credibility less than than someone who puts someone on their airwaves that told you for 12 months consecutively that Skylar Thompson was the best quarterback on the roster, and now that whole idea doesn't get questioned anymore because it wasn't a, a well-thought-out, researched idea, right? It was just saying stuff to say stuff. So if you want to put someone like that on your podcast and say, difference of opinions is good to have on the show, I agree, but there's also a reason I don't put my four-year-old in the podcast because when I ask her, how was your Valentine's Day, sweetheart, she says purple, you know? You don't need differing opinions just because they're different without vetting them for quality. I will never put stuff on the podcast that doesn't provide quality for you guys, that doesn't make us collectively smarter as a Dolphins fan, as a football fan, as a human being, talking about films or experiences or evaluating draft prospects or Tua's mistake on a third down throw on a week 14 game. I will always give you the best in that regard and never, ever, ever, even if I leave the Dolphins, I will never shill. I will never grift. I will never put myself in that position. So I just want to address that. I'll do more on the Wednesday show. But gosh, guys, like, what is, what is going on out there? All right. So Saturday, 10 to noon, Seth Levitt and myself are going to be at the finish line of DCC, which I believe is in the Paddock Club this year. No more janky finish line back in some random parking lot. It's on the actual F1 track at the Paddock Club. And Seth and I will be hosting a two-hour radio program. We'll have some pre-taped interviews. Uh, we're going to have the great Liz Jenkins. Jason Jenkins is the late Jason Jenkins' wife. Um, Dr. Nimmer, the head of Sylvester Cancer Research Group, will be on the show with us. And I believe we're angling for Jalen Phillips as well. We're also going to have OJ McDuffie and a live feed to OJ on his 99 mile, mile ride 
at DCC. So come check us out. Come say hi to me and Seth. Take some pictures, whatever you want to do. Come meet some players, all that fun stuff. Please come out and support DCC if you are not part of it already. We'll see you guys out there on Saturday. So you all, please be sure in the meantime to subscribe to the, to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Although, to be perfectly honest, I don't, I don't really want to tweet anymore unless it's about football in season during the game. Like, I, this stuff is nonsense right now. Uh, follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the fish tank with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, some of my breakdowns on there. And, of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline and Cameron, Daddy, he's coming home.